You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Athletic. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK, and my name is Sammy James. Welcome to the first ever Fulhamish annual. Bit of a different episode today. This is a new idea that we're trying on the podcast, and we're going to be taking a look back at the season that just was. So in this episode, we're going to be diving back through the triumphant 21-22 campaign for Fulham, giving a snapshot of the conversation at various points during the season. We'll be going all the way from pre-season expectations to Fulham's title-winning 7-0 win over Luton Town as the records tumbled and the trophy was lifted. But we start back on July the 1st, 2021. Fulham were managerless after Scott Parker's protracted exit to Bournemouth and there was huge uncertainty which direction was next. Many top names were touted, including Chris Wilder and Valerian Ishmael, but Fulham surprised us all when this news came to light. Fulham are close to finalising a deal to make Marco Silva their new head coach. Uh, former Fulham winger Luis Boamorte expected to be uh, Silva's assistant as well. My understanding is that Marco Silva was Fulham's first choice. It was, it's been an interesting process because, as you say, there has been those rumours. Both Chris Wilder and Steve Cooper were under consideration by Fulham. Eddie Howe too, but Eddie Howe wasn't interested in the job. Whenever I was, I was trying to have conversations with people, there was always the sense that there's someone else. There's someone else that isn't currently in discussion, really. It hasn't really been reported on. Um, and there was a real determination to sort of keep it under wraps. Silver was was the man that, that Fulham wanted. And yeah, it was it was a provisionally agreed this week. Uh, and then it was announced the next day. He's uh, He's on his way back from Portugal, so he'll have to quarantine but uh, no, it's exciting. Obviously, Lewis Bermorte is coming in as well as his assistant. He's bringing his Everton staff back together. The team's in place. It's now about getting getting down to business as pre-season's already underway and you know the season's not too far off either. I've got to be honest, I was a little bit underwhelmed, but from seeing Peter's report, I kind of knew, okay, this is our man because like Peter was saying, it did feel like there was always someone else. It kind of felt like all the names that were mentioned were either backup options or they didn't want the job. So I think I kind of had to come to terms with the reality of it. Um, obviously, I was a bit underwhelmed because I kind of thought of his track record in England but that's not to say it's kind of a new era it is someone completely different and the fact that he'd rejected the Fenerbahce job for Fulham so it's obviously like he it's exciting to know what he wants to create at Fulham and um, his ambition ambitions with the club so I think I've kind of warmed over time to it. So the championship season started on the weekend of the 7th and 8th of August with Fulham's first three fixtures being Middlesbrough at home followed by trips to Huddersfield and Millwall And with the addition of Marco Silva, plus Fulham keeping many of their star names, expectations were pretty high to say the least. If you look at the Fulham squad right now, 
and, and you look at how it's panning out and, and how the, the squad currently looks, that there is no way that this Fulham squad should not go up automatically. Not necessarily win the league, because I think that Sheffield United are also in a particularly good place. And I actually think that West Brom have, uh, have rebuilt quite nicely for, for what Ismail wants to do. So I'm not suggesting that the Fulham have to go up in at top. But I do think that if this squad is kept together as it currently is, anything less than an automatic promotion is, I think, a disappointment from from a squad-based perspective. Now, how that actually pans out in real life is obviously a different question. Um, and how this squad looks in 27 days' time when the window shuts is another question entirely, right? And if if this squad is has been depleted by then, if we've seen offers that come in that are you know that we cannot deal with, if if offers come in for the likes of Tosin and Gisa, suddenly the squad looks a little bit less completely and utterly watertight and and so I suppose that yes at the moment it makes sense for Fulham to be the favorites for for automatic promotion it makes Fulham to be favorites to, to win the league sure but there's a lot going on here which which involves you know stuff that at the moment is outside of our control outside of what we can foresee. So Fulham's opening match against Neil Warnock's Middlesbrough took place on the Sunday of the opening weekend. The first match at Craven Cottage with full attendance in just under 18 months. This is Harry Wilson. Working again onto his stronger left foot. Harry Wilson! Premier League class! Premier League quality! Jones. Nicely done. Bowler! Brilliant! Middlesbrough have stayed! Welcome to the championship, Marco Silva. What was it like being back in the Hammersmith end, having a pint beforehand, seeing a packed Craven Cottage and singing Marco Silva's Blow Army? It was emotional, actually. I uh, at the um, I was lucky enough to go to the Euro 2020 final as well. And I just remember just stood there, just watching it all happen in front of me and just like sort of smiling with like, you know, tears welling up. And it was, it was, it was kind of that same feeling just to be back. And like, there's a lot of muscle memory as well there. You know, you, you, you jump on the tube and you remember all of the old stuff and it was just great to, to do it. It was with my dad and my brother. Uh, and it was just, uh, just fantastic just to see everybody and it it felt a lot like a lot more people than than just 16,000 which I think was roughly the attendance but um of course last time I was there there was no Riverside stand at all so that was also you know you, you see the pictures ad nauseum on Twitter for the past 18 months but seeing it in person it is quite something so a bit of opening day disappointment for Fulham but it didn't take long for the Whites to notch up their first away win of the season up at Huddersfield a side that many including us had back to struggle this season Mitro's bizarre goals set the Whites on their way to a 5-1 victory on the road as Joe reacts to it was so nice that even with the red card, as soon as that happened, Silver, you know, throw on another attacker, let's get the next goal. We're better than you. We're going to beat you with 10 men was the sort of attitude. And I felt by watching the highlights of Scott Parker's Bournemouth yesterday, it definitely felt a bit like, here's what you could have won or, well, here's what you could have lost because that seemed dreadful. They went down to 10 men. They grinded it out, to be fair to them, at Nottingham Forest brought on an extra defender immediately after going down to 10 men and Silva just thought, no, let's get at them. And it was such a great feeling watching goal after goal. And every time we came forward, we looked dangerous. And I haven't felt like that for a long time, even in the championship. Every player seems to be playing with confidence and it's so good to see players, some of them coming back into the fold, playing with a smile on their face because at the end of the day, football's meant to be fun. And I feel like even with some of the good results we got over the last couple of years, it was never that fun to watch. 
I think this is what it's all about and I hope there's many more games like this coming up this season. Well, there certainly would be more where that came from. That Huddersfield win was the start of a five-match winning run in the League and Cup and Fulham's nearly perfect August got even better when Alexander Mitrovic signed a bumper five-year new contract, committing his future after a turbulent summer when many expected him to leave. His first game after signing that deal was at home to Stoke where he scored one and assisted another in a 3-0 win. The good times are back with this contract extension. I think uh, everything around the club at the moment is absolutely bang on uh, in terms of everyone feeling on the same page about the the football team being really good. And then obviously our talisman signs another five-year contract and follows that up with an imperious performance with a goal and an assist. And um, the first goal is exquisite from from the start to, to all the way through to the finish. And the, the touch by Mitrovic is... Uh, is superb and it's I think it's another asset to his game that has been brought in by Marco Silva giving him the confidence to start linking play I think we saw him in the first game he sort of felt like he drifted in and out he didn't really have too much of a pressing contribution in terms of setting up others and bringing them into play but I think in the last at least the last three or four games we're starting to see him now bring others into play play lovely football uh, off the ball to try and get into space and uh what, one thing about Mitrovic is that people quite often underestimate how clever he can be on the ball and uh, how he can bring others into play. And I think we're finally starting to see this happen now. And I think the the first goal is the epitome of, of what Mitrovic can do with his hold-up play. After Fulham's 3-0 win over Stoke, our fourth league victory in a row, there was a two-week international break. And at Fulhamish, we were lucky enough to speak to Tim Ream during that time. Here's what he had to say about the new style of play that Marcus Silva was implementing at Motspur Park. The biggest thing is just playing quicker. Um, I think we we all are well aware of of kind of the last couple of seasons how how we've kind of slowed things down a bit, and he just wants guys to, to play quicker, and it's clearly paid dividends. Um, not just myself, but um, I feel like I play better when when we play quicker. It's it's a lot easier to make decisions um, when when things are are moving at a at a quicker pace. Um, for me, for whatever reason, don't ask me why. Most people will say the exact opposite. When things are slowed down, it's, it's easier. But the way I play the game and, and read the game, it just seems like it's coming so easy and, and natural when things are, are moving quick. And so, yeah, I mean, as soon as he said that, I thought, no, this is perfect. This is exactly me. This is exactly how I want to be playing. Quite obviously, it's it's how the majority of the of the squad want to play because it's you know it's been a, a breath of fresh air to, to start the season. But that international break turned out to be one that really disrupted Fulham's winning flow. Our first match in September saw us visit newly promoted Blackpool, who at the time were yet to win a game. It was a limp performance though that saw us lose one nil. Wasn't panic stations just yet though on the pod? I don't think we were that bad. I mean, we weren't great, and I think to be honest. You know, most championship weeks that our performance probably would have been enough for a point. Um, I think we came across uh, genuinely a very good Blackpool side. Um, I remember you mentioned in the Thursday pod, Jack, that um, Blackpool's position in the league didn't necessarily reflect how good they are. And I think we saw that. I think they, they played really well. I think they pressed us very cleverly, kind of with their two strikers and put Tim Ream and Tosin under a lot of pressure. Um, and I think we came up against Bowler, who had a, a terrific match as well. So, yeah, I mean, obviously pretty disappointing to come away with the loss. Um, I don't think it was a, a dreadful performance in many ways. I came away from yesterday thinking that it's more to do with Silva learning 
about rotation than about, oh my word, Fulham are terrible, the bubbles burst, we're going to finish in the relegation zone. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying anyone else, anyone's thinking that, but let me tell you, some of the people around me at the game yesterday, you would think that we were, you know, about to get liquidated. We followed up that defeat at Blackpool with an impressive 4-1 win on the road over Birmingham at St Andrews. Fulham subsequently, though, struggled for consistency. The Whites fell to their first home defeat of the season against Reading and then could only pick up a one-all draw away at struggling Bristol City. A game, however, that will be fondly remembered for a beautiful goal celebration with young Fulham fan Reese Porter, who the first team had taken under their wing after he was bullied online. Fulham did then pick up a comfortable win at home against Swansea. However, Fulham's first league match against Coventry City in 53 years followed and it truly sent alarm bells ringing. Ream just had to slightly adjust, then run into Onoma. And Fulham have played themselves into trouble. Jokic! It's gone in! Patty Darbo crosses that ball in. O'Hare was waiting. It's Ian Matson. Matson! They're unstoppable. And here they come again. Jokic! He's squeezed it hard! It was a multitude of errors that led to the result yesterday on our on our side and we weren't able to show any of our quality yesterday. I don't think we were beaten by the better team. I think Fulham will bounce back from this. We we have players on the sideline who are coming back. I, I think it's just one that we just have to write off and forget about it. Easier said than done, that's for sure. Let's come on to the Gazaniga question. Um, where do you stand on this, Steve? And do you think Rodak deserves a chance or do you think that Gazaniga has been unfairly maligned? For me personally, I'm very much in the middle. Um, I take a stand back and I look at it and I go, wow, you know, we've got two fantastic keepers. So whoever's in that lineup, I'm very happy. I trust them both to do very good jobs, you know, in between the sticks. Um, having said that, you know, Rodak's been called up on twice. Um, I appreciate they're both cup games, but it was, you know, a couple of clean sheets and he made some amazing uh, penalty saves as well against Leeds, if I remember correctly. But Gazaniga is a very good keeper with Premier League experience. And, you know, that's what we're trying to build here, a Premier League team. That performance yesterday wasn't his best. But I guess the question is, what does Rodak have to do to get his chance in the league? And based on everything that I've seen so far, I believe he deserves um, a chance. You know, I'd be very happy to see him up against QPR and for Marco Silva to say, well, here you go. Here's your opportunity. Earn that place in between the sticks. And that game really did prove to be the end of Paolo Gazaniga's run in goal for Fulham. After the October international break, Marco Silva chose Marit Rodak to get the slot in goal and he kept his place right until the end of the season. And Marit proved to be an instant lucky charm as the Whites ran out 4-1 winners against QPR in the sunshine at Craven Cottage. That day, Mitrovic bagged two brilliant goals, bringing his tally to 12 in 12 games. The debate started on the next podcast about how many he could bag in this brilliant season. He's obviously not going to score 46 goals, even though that's what he's on target for. But you do have to wonder, Ivan Tony scored 31 last season. Could Mitrovic break it? It's certainly doable. The rate at which he's playing at the moment, it seems as though he could score every chance he gets. I think that Mitrovic could probably get over 30 this season. It's just whether he could stay fit, stay in the team. Hopefully nothing happens when he's with Serbia in, in November. So 
Mitrovic right now is at the peak of his powers. He's 27. He's going to hit the prime of his career. And we're very lucky to have him in this division, hopefully firing us to the Premier League. Those two goals basically just summed up Mitrovic, taking it down, swiveling, shooting, and then, of course, a, a lovely glancing headed goal. I couldn't be more happy for the lad. He's absolutely fantastic. Well, that win in the West London derby triggered a sensational run of form, with Fulham winning seven games on the spin, including big wins against Inform Nottingham Forest and high-flying at the time, West Brom. The latter game saw Alexander Mitrovic score a hat-trick, meaning he was closing in on 20 goals with less than a third of the season played. However, just when you thought this team was playing at the peak of its powers, Fulham turned up to Ewood Park to face another Inform side in Blackburn. Rovers and what followed was extraordinary. Once again they're queuing up, once again they're scoring. Muneeth making the most of his time on the field. It is 7-0. Wasn't like I was getting bored of celebrating another goal, but <laughs> it, it was just like I was I was more just laughing every time. Did you leave goal early? No, no, no. Actually, I saw all the goals yesterday because frankly I didn't score in the 50 wow. minutes of time. So, <laughs> Fulham, are getting, Fulham are getting quite good at doing that this season, not scoring in the 15, in between 30 and 45. So, it, the celebrations were sort of getting, I think, less and less. But then when Mooney scored, I think it sort of reunited people's celebrations because I think everyone wants Rodrigo Mooney to do well. I think there isn't anyone who's, you know, we, we've had backup strikers in the past or other strikers in the past in the likes of Abubakar Kamara and Rui Font who have split opinions in the fan base. But, like, I think it was just crazy because like, obviously when we went like four like, well, oh, we might score five here if we're, if we're lucky maybe six but seeing a score seven goals is absolutely crazy as, as, as you said I think what we only need probably like, five or six more goals to double last season's goal tally already I and mean, it's only what the third of November or whatever it is so it was great having like five of the seven goals at the end where the away fans were as well that made it that made it even more special and yeah fair point to anyone who got up there yesterday was as long as that the easiest place to get to on a Wednesday evening yeah. Blackburn Obviously, the red card did change things. It was a really odd red card that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a bit in a bit more detail. But it was just the way that Fulham just kept coming at Blackburn afterwards. Um, it would have been really easy for Marco Silva to have just just gone right, sod it. Let's let's rest our big guns because even at two 0 after that red card, it, it did feel kind of done. Um, but then they, the way the team came out in the second half, they came out with real purpose to actually try and inflict some severe damage on the home team and and that's what they did. They stretched the play very well. I think Blackburn were a bit naive in the way they set up coming coming out after the break. They were trying to still play. I think they played with two up top. And you know, Fulham punished them for that. But then they dropped deeper and and, and that made no difference really. Once their heads had gone, it was just pummeling after pummeling, you know, throwing the towel kind of stuff. And it has to be credit to Fulham for doing that, you know, to, to actually keep going. And we we keep seeing it, you know, once once Fulham get ahead in games, once they've got that margin, they they will just run away. They will just steamroll the sides, and it's one of those results. It's a real statement because, as you say, Sammy, they're they're not a bad team, but Fulham have gone there and inflicted their Blackburn's worst ever home league defeat. <laughs> which is just mental. Then in December arrived the match that many had been waiting for, Fulham versus Bournemouth and the return of Scott Parker to Craven Cottage. In the weeks leading up to the match, Fulham had inched ahead of his side at the top of the league, but there was still only one point between the two sides. A brilliant team move saw the Cherries take the lead seconds into the second half, but Tosin's equaliser lifted the roof off the Hammersmith end. Sadly, there was to be no dramatic winner, but the panel were pleased with the draw that kept us top of the championship pile. In regard to like the overall performance, I thought we played well. In regard to would I have taken a 1-1 before the game? Yes, I would have taken a 1-1 before the game. And overall, yes, we didn't get the win, but performance-wise, I thought it was good. 
And yeah, so we still top the league and I think that's the most important thing. If Bournemouth had gone last weekend and won and not conceded that ridiculous goal to Coventry at the end of their game, they'd come into this game ahead of us. It would have felt like a an absolute must win, right? To get back on top, to push it. As it was, being top of the league uh, and being in front of them when, when kickoff came round, it felt a little bit more like a point was an acceptable result for Fulham. Now, the balance of play, we probably should have won the game. But on the whole, a point before kickoff probably didn't seem like the worst idea in the world. Well, as pleasing as that late point against Bournemouth was, it was actually the midpoint of a winless run of games for Fulham. After four draws in a row, Sheffield United visited the cottage just before Christmas, and they ensured that Fulham entered the festive period looking over their shoulders. Here is Njai away from Seri, Billy Sharp to his left, Njai going all the way! It's a work of art! From the paintbrush of Villeman in Jai. Oh, I saw some hysterical overreactions uh, to, to last night's performance, including um, sacking Marco Silva and his entire coaching staff from one particular uh, correspondent. I would just point out, you know, we revere somebody like Mickey Adams, but his promotion team went through a remarkably similar period at a very similar time in the season and recovered uh, with a win at Swansea to go on and dominate the, the second half of the season. I don't think this is the time to sort of panic unduly. The Championship has this pattern of producing these sorts of results, and I think Sheffield United are a very good and well-drilled side, and they played it perfectly last night. Indeed, all of our defeats, I think, have largely, with the exception of Coventry, been by teams who have stuck to a game plan, stuck in, stopped us from playing. The fact that we've actually lost a game now, I hope that it causes more of a reaction because as much as the players have said, oh, it was a poor performance at Preston, obviously illness, uh, poor performance at Luton where there was no real excuse, another poor performance here, there's, there's nothing to mask it. We haven't picked up anything. We've lost some ground on the teams coming up from third. I know Bournemouth lost, but Blackburn, etc., have gained on us. They're only a few points away now. There's no more excuses. And I hope that this loss almost kicks us as the Coventry game did to actually get back to winning ways. And what a reaction it did cause. Three COVID-related postponements over Christmas and New Year meant that Fulham had to wait three weeks for another league game. And by the time it came round, we found ourselves down in third position with both Bournemouth and Blackburn overtaking us due to some of their games not getting postponed during the festive period. A depleted and out-of-form Reading came next, and they were on the end of another 7-0 away win, prompting potentially the best three-word review of all time. There, there was a clear, a clear favourite here. Or everything. I'm gonna have to start with. It. I don't normally do this. I normally finish with the like the zenith. But I, it's so good that I'm going with it. Stefano Friani with double o seven. How good is that? It is Perfect. absolutely astonishing. It's really, oh, really good. I, I honestly think it may be up there as one of the greatest ever. Try vector of perfection. You've got the yeah. occasion. You've got the pun. You've got the execution. All three boxes ticked. So good. So, so good. And we, as we know, we love a, you know, boxes tick system at Fulham. So, you know, it really, is, it really is. As you can imagine, the panel were understandably running out of superlatives to describe what we'd seen. I had to score seven goals away from home without reply twice in a season and we're barely halfway through. It's, it's ridiculous, to be honest. After the first half, you probably didn't really see it coming because, you know, the first half wasn't exactly a 
dominant display and then second half just the floodgates opened and um <laughs> it's, it's really hard to digest to be honest i mean especially compared to how few goals we saw last season but just how how good fulham can be you know how when they're on it um they they are just irrepressible they are unstoppable and they're just so horribly ruthless you know nothing was lost on anyone when um marco silva turns to rodrigo Muniz and you're six nil up already i mean come on for a second strike and not even to take off mitrovic or anything like that i mean it's it's brutal, um, but you know, but we love it, and it's uh, it's great to watch. And um, it, you just got to get to some of these games. I know recent form wasn't great, but this team does have the potential to do it, and it's um, <laughs> yeah, an extraordinary night. And this episode of the podcast conjured one of the great moments of the season for us, as we premiered this ditty on our "This Will Catch On" section. I think you'll recognise it. So one of them is from last night and some people that George and I met on the 50 bus back from Reading to the ground. Um, we were all a little bit giddy at the time. <laughs> lovely, um, lovely bunch of lads. They were so funny. Now, I don't have all of their names, but I only have one of their names, but his name was Andrew Lappin. Now, first of all, um, Andrew was lapping it up. No pun Wait. intended. Because he claims he created the chant last night, which was Manchester City, we're coming for you. Um, which I don't got... think he's created that. No, 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 no. <laughs> but apparently he says he started Manchester City, we're coming for you, which was a good chant last night. It was a funny moment. Uh, it got picked up by quite a lot of outlets that we were singing that last night, which was enjoyable. So if true, well done, Andrew, for that. But they also came up with this absolute doozy of a chant, which we were singing on the bus. And this is a recording from the bus last night. It's to Abba's Super Trooper. Now, there are not many chants to Super Trooper, um, and I very much enjoyed this one. So here's a ropey recording from the bus. Very good. That was me screaming and again. Oh, well done. You really were a bit giddy. It goes, Harry Wilson, Mitrovic and Niskins playing black and white, scoring goals all night, make the championship look shite. Yeah, it's really good. After that Reading win, the games came thick and fast and so did the goals. Fulham followed up that match with a 6-2 win over Bristol City at Craven Cottage, scoring five in the first half. And then just three days later, Fulham won by the exact same scoreline, 6-2 against Birmingham City. Meant that Fulham were the first English side in 88 years to score six or more goals in three consecutive games. Time for this. And yes, all the criteria has been fulfilled. I had a lot of tweets last night with three words in them. Sound the horn. So, ladies and gentlemen, all aboard. I can't believe you've done this just before I get to Stoke. <laughs> all aboard welcome along to the ship and it really does feel like Fulham are just at will being able to cut through teams at the moment now this isn't going to last I don't think I think there are games where you know obviously in the second half Birmingham sat back and we didn't break through until they really came at us I think which is probably worth pointing out there are going to be games where teams sit in in a block against Fulham and it's hard to break down but 
with Kenny playing at the base of this pivot and Carvalho in front of him, this combination of being able to kind of penetrate from deep in, in the Kenny can like slide those balls through as for the first goal and Carvalho dancing around in front of him is almost impossible to defend at this level, I think, because people are so confused as to who they should go, where they should stay. You know, defenders are just unable to cope with the ability they have because they're already worried about Mitrovic, Niskins and Harry Wilson. And suddenly you're adding these other two into the mix and it just all feels like Fulham are able to overwhelm sides. Um, and, and yeah, it does feel like we have that gear to just click up. And when we do, it's been so, so ruthless. Ask the jubilation of that famous run in January was a game that nobody present will ever forget for very different reasons. During the first half of Fulham's match against Blackpool on the 29th of January, play was halted for a medical emergency in the Hammersmith end. Later that evening, it was revealed that lifelong Fulham fan Paul Parrish had died after suffering a cardiac arrest. The news brought shockwaves to the Fulham fan base. Ten days later, after a 3-0 win over Millwall at Craven Cottage, Marco Silva and his team made their way to the Hammersmith End to embrace Paul's daughter Claire and his granddaughter Felicity. A truly moving moment that demonstrated everything we love about this wonderful football club. A month or so later, we had Claire on the podcast to talk about what that moment meant to her and her family. It still feels really surreal, to be honest with you. So Carmelo had said to me, Tom Kearney would like to pop over and give Felicity his shirt just as a way of sending his love to you. And Felicity being a little bit shy said, you know, she'd like me to come down with her. So what we had was all of a sudden at the end of the game, all of a sudden the whole team were in front of us. And I was like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And I said to Felicity, oh, they're not here to see us. They're just here to clap the Hammersmith end and then they'll be off, you know. And then Tim Ream was just staring me straight in the eye. And I was like, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, bless them, obviously led by lovely Tim, just one by one, they all came over and, and just hugged us. And honestly, I will tell you this. Tim Ream hugged me like I was his own sister. And it was just a really, really raw and beautiful moment. And you could tell the players were heartbroken as well. You know, there there was genuine sorrow in their eyes. And when the back of the Hammersmith end, bless them, they sing one of our own about my dad. It's He is one of our own, you know, and I think it resonates with everyone what happened. So many people go with their families, don't they? And even the players, I think Tom Kearney said it before before one of the matches as well. You know, it resonates because we all have family and we all put ourselves in in Claire's position and, and dad's sister's position who was there that day and, and put ourselves in that position of what would we do if, if we lost someone. So it was a really raw and beautiful and surprising moment. And But it was genuine, you know, it, it wasn't planned. No one knew it was going to happen. They just came over. In February, Fulham's goal-scoring touch slightly diminished, but one man that Silva could always rely on was Alexander Mitrovic. His winning header against Hull was his 31st of the season, meaning that he was level with Ivan Toney's championship goal-scoring record with a remarkable 16 games of the season still remaining. After a blank against Huddersfield, second bottom side Peterborough United travelled to Craven Cottage and when Mitrovic won an early penalty, there was no debate who would take the spot kick and where it would end up. Mitrovic, the player fouled, has scored four 
out of five penalties this season. Fulham's goal machine scores again and breaks the record. 32 league goals now this season. Peter, what was it like chatting to the big man post-record break? Yeah, a real privilege that. And I know the, the expression is, you know, smiling from ear to ear or whatever, but he, he genuinely was. You know, he came out and he just kept smiling the whole way through. He's a smiley character anyway. It was really good to talk to him because he, he didn't just sort of, you know, he did obviously say, you know, the important things of promotion and he couldn't do it without his teammates. But there was a little bit of insight into how he sort of thinks as well in terms of his targets. You know, it's not just score as many as you can. He sets sort of small five goal targets and goes from one to the next. So his current one is 35. And then after that, if he gets that, it'll be 40, which is really interesting to see. And he talked about uh, how he feels fitter, the fittest he's ever been in, in, in his life. He talked about why that was the case, you know, some tweaks from from Silver and, and, and the staff. And he said it was something that a lot of the players felt themselves. He also talked about how his roles changed a little bit too. And, you know, we've talked about his assists and how he links up the play. And he talks about how he has more freedom, freedom to go where and find the spaces, to pull defenders around. And and actually that's, that's you've got an insight into sort of his, his striker's mind a little bit rather than just being that player in the box. It was about how do I move this defence? Where can I find those spaces? And and, and yeah, no, it was a, it was a real privilege, um, especially so late in the evening. You know, usually the, the players are really keen to, to head off. But after breaking Ivan Tony's championship record, I think, he was more than happy to, to spare a few words and um, yeah, he was in good, good spirit. For much of the season, Fulham's wins arrived in various hot streaks. After that record-breaking night against Peterborough, Fulham then recorded two more wins against Cardiff City on the road and then Blackburn Rovers at home. Silverside then travelled to a resurgent Swansea City. Despite the Swans being really strong during the opening half, a Ryan Manning red card opened the floodgates and Fulham ran away 5-1 winners, meaning they were 14 points clear at the top of the table. Fulham's last two goals came immediately after Swansea scored a consolation, prompting this pretty wild theory from Jack. I don't mean that in a, in a disparaging way, but with 10 men and at 3-0 down, you're never going to come back and draw the game. You just aren't. Like, it's, it's just not going to happen. And ultimately, Fulham went, right, OK, if that's what you're going to do, we'll score twice more. Uh, and your goal difference has, has, has suffered on the back of it. Because, you know, there is kind of this feeling, and, and Peter's right, that you're a bit like the hush on the stadium. Everyone was quite calm. You've seen those games peter out before because Swansea scored. And look, you've got to give them due respect for going and continuing to push onwards. And it's a well-worked corner. It's a good header. It's a good goal. But ultimately, it, it did feel a bit like, okay, Fulham are quite content here. Maybe let's not roll them up. And and, and that's exactly what happened with the goal. And, and Fulham went on and scored two more. I like that your analysis there is that Swansea shouldn't have scored. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a bit. Because also, look, you look at actually what Russell Martin was trying to do. It's like going for a 40-yard sprint up the pitch when you're 3-0 down in the 80th minute. It's pointless. It's a complete waste of energy. And the chances are that you're actually going to, you're more likely to injure yourself or put yourself out of contention for another game. After Swansea, there were two more matches before the March international break, and they didn't quite go to plan. A draw against Barnsley preceded a meek 1-0 defeat to West Brom. Unlike earlier in the season, the two-week break, though, seemed to arrive at a good time. Fulham returned with an emphatic 2-0 win at QPR, and then one of the biggest wins of the season up on Teesside. Wilson and Reid are standing over this as Fulham look to try and make the breakthrough on Teesside. Swing in by Wilson, and somehow Mitrovic got free! Champions of the scene and the fences in. 
to go there, get a 1-0 win in the driving rain midweek. That is a performance of champions. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is the, it's the mark of champions. Um, we've had a few of these now, haven't we, on the road? Uh going away, not playing amazingly well, but still still coming away with, with the three points. And it, it was interesting when you said that if it was the, the time scan season, because obviously you think it's, oh, got Bournemouth coming up. It's funny. Is that a dig? But no, when you actually look at the uh, the details, and as you say, Sam, if you were to do a fixture rating, going to the Riverside is, is right up there. You know, they haven't lost at home since November in the league, uh, eight wins in a row. Some big teams have gone there and lost. West Brom, Forest, Bournemouth. So to go there to... You know, to to fight, I think, is the best way of describing it. You know, Fulham had to to fight and slug it out in the second half. Uh, to come away with a clean sheet, to come away with three points, it's a really, really, really sweet feeling, I think. That amazing result in Middlesbrough meant that Fulham were effectively one win away from securing promotion automatically. Our next game was against Coventry City at the Cottage, a side who had faded away from the playoff picture slightly. However, Fulham were once again humbled by Mark Robbins' team, as the Sky Blues' intense pressing meant that they picked up a fully deserved 3-1 win. A perfect evening then to be recording a live podcast in front of an audience. Yeah, it was uh, prime Fulham against Coventry, really, wasn't it? It was uh, exactly what we saw on the pissing wet lunchtime kickoff in Coventry. And we just saw the same thing again. It was the worst thing about it today was that I knew I would have to sit here and be <laughs> really miserable to all of you. <laughs> Despite the defeat, there was plenty of laughs to be had at the half moon. We invited this country star Charlie Cooper to join in with our infamous This Will Catch On segment. Song number two. This is from Jared Griffiths. He said, I've decided to assist Matt in his quest for a Chalaba song and appease Jack the Syllable Police with this. It's a rendition of A Horse With No Name by America. (laughs) He's already on a six. (laughs) So, let's have a listen. He's set. In the middle and he'll cause you some pain In fact, he'll play you right out of the game The announcers will probably butcher his name So we'll sing it loud now just to save them some pain Chalaba thoughts on a horse with no name for really Chalaba? really like that a lot yeah uh, can we hear it again yeah, yeah. Sat in the middle and some pain. sorry and just pause it there does it sound a bit like a wasp in a jar <laughs> 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 really weird play <laughs> Easter weekend rolled around and Fulham's game at Derby was selected to be the late game on Good Friday. Nottingham Forest's defeat earlier at Luton meant that the Whites could mathematically seal promotion with a win at Pride Park, a scenario that would be extra sweet for those at the baseball ground in 1983 when Derby fans surrounded the pitch and hindered Fulham's chances of winning promotion to the first division. However, it wasn't to be, as a second half fight back from the Rams meant that Fulham would have to wait. Surely we couldn't mess it up from here. I think we collapsed at halftime. My visuals of it is I can imagine Rooney in the dressing room going to the players, right, this is it. You don't go out there and win. You guys are down. This is the end of our journey together. And they just realised the gravity of the situation and went tooth and nail and put on a bloody good second half, let's be honest. And 
I think the motivation was there for us, but maybe not, maybe not in the same way. And I do just think it was their ruthlessness that took them through in the end. We have a tendency in some games to just melt away. And it felt like that on Friday night, that it was one of those, we were in a bit of a hostile atmosphere. There was a team that was scrapping for their lives. And it just reminded me of sort of similarities to sort of when we went away to Blackpool and they were really up for it, or when we went away to Coventry and they were really up for it. And I think in those situations, we haven't been able to get our quality to show above the opposition sort of drive and their physicality. And I think that second half was the perfect case of that, where it's just Derby just wanted it more. And I don't think that means that the Fulham players didn't want it because we saw with their celebrations at the start of the game, like when we scored, the players were up for this, but it was just one of those. I I don't think there's a massive need to worry that everyone's packed it in because they think we're going up. I just think we just got done by a team that was scrapping for their lives. After two defeats on the trot, the Whites had the perfect opportunity to win promotion on their own terms again. Mid-table Preston were the visitors to Craven Cottage on the Tuesday after Easter and the formula was just the same as Derby. Win and promotion was sealed. Fortunately, this time, it all went to plan. It's full time. They are officially a Premier League side. Fulham 3, Preston 0. There is a pitch invasion going on right now. The players are high-fiving. Marco Silva's got a huge smile on his face right now. The stewards are trying to hold back the fans, but... They're having no luck. The fans are just loving this moment. Uh, the screens are saying we are Premier League. Fulham have done it at the first attempt. They're going back to the Premier League. Yeah, they'd had enough faffing around. This was uh, this was business resume. This was um, need to get it done. Need to get the job done with, with those bigger games coming up and, and comfortable from from the start. I think Mayan Rodak made a couple of really important saves at the beginning of the game. Fulham started pretty composed on the ball. It felt pretty good. And then, then there was that Preston spell and you just felt the edginess, that sort of edginess that clearly had been creeping around the fan base. I've seen it all on social media from people I speak to. It's unnecessary because it's going to happen. Fulham were going to go up, but it's it was just there. And, and those saves were really important. And to get an early goal, great play from Joe Bryan on the left. And then the man himself, Alexander Mitrovic, to, to score, just basically got the party started. You know, Fulham were on it. Tempo was good. The way they played the ball was good. There was intent. This was it. No more messing around. Time to get it done. With promotion sealed, there was just a small matter of wrapping up the championship title, something that the Whites hadn't achieved since Tagana's all-conquering team 21 years ago. However, a late equaliser by Bournemouth and a defeat by Nottingham Forest meant that we were somewhat limping to the line. Alexander Mitrovic was two goals away from Guy Whittingham's second-tier scoring record and the team were just one goal away from being the first championship side to ever score 100 in a season. Along came playoff chasing Luton Town, who provided the perfect fodder for all records to tumble. But here's Wilson, and can he now? Fulham join the 100 club! Tete. He's going to unleash and score! Mitrovic, such a good linker of the play these days, and that's beautifully done! Magnificent stuff! Carvalho finishes it off, and they are in party mood now! Mitrovic, this is the chance! There he is! He caught over Reed! Merciless! Picked up by Seri. He'll hit it now and score! Here's Wilson. Here's Mitrovic. It's another! Number 43 for this goal-scoring phenomenon! 
But I think the thing that stood out for me is not just the performance on the pitch. I think it's in the stands afterwards. You see people of, you know, anywhere from sort of like five to 80 years old having the time of their lives, like hugging their, their family, their friends, the people that they've sat next to for 40 and 50 years because this is an exemplary moment for them and having such a great time. But on the pitch, the football today was incredible. We got a little bit accused of being one-dimensional in the games running up to this, but I thought today it was everything that was great about Fulham, the passing, the movement, the one-touches, the, the flair, the finishing, everything about Fulham today was brilliant on and off the pitch and it makes you proud to be a fan of us, doesn't it? Let's savour these moments. It doesn't come around very often. It has been an emphatic season. Yes, there have been a little bit of blips here and there, but... 7-0 three times in a row. I watched with such glee on TV when we put Blackburn to the swords 7-0 and I thought I'm never going to I'm never going to see Fulham win 7-0. And yet we do it two more times that year. That's incredible. I'm never going to forget that. It's so rare when you get so many different things come together in a moment like that. And I think it helps that Fulham had that sort of bad run of form. It was the worst run of form of the season, wasn't it? So yeah, we've been not that great lately. No, it's not been good. It's not been good. Three defeats in five. But to come back in and end the season at home with a win like that, because it, it almost felt like we all know how good this season's been. We know that Fulham have been exceptional. There have been some incredible results. But you didn't want it to end on that back of that run of form. You didn't want it to end, you know, with that sluggishness, really. So to come out and to play the way they did, to score the goals they did, which we've seen before, sure, we've seen it before, but to do it then, to win the title, like, there is no better way to win the title. What a night it was. Despite a final day defeat at Sheffield United, there was nothing really that could take the shine off a remarkable season at Fulham. 90 points, 106 goals, personal goal-scoring records smashed, and a first trophy for the Whites in 21 years. That is it for our first ever Fulhamish annual. I really hope you enjoyed it. If that's the case, please let us know. We'd love to potentially bring this back on a yearly basis if you think it's worth us doing them. There's loads of great Fulham articles on the Fulhamish website, particularly looking at transfer rumours. And there's loads of great videos as well on the Fulhamish YouTube too. And don't forget the best way to stay up to date with everything Fulham is making sure you're subscribed to The Athletic, which you can get for £1 a month by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. We'll be back with another podcast soon. Until then, come on you whites.